Welcome to the Clifford Chance podcast. I'm Kate Gibbons and um, this is where we discuss the biggest issues and trends faced by businesses and the people who work with them. And today we're talking to Professor Alex Edmonds, who um, is a professor of finance at the London Business School. He was educated at Oxford University, um, then worked for Morgan Stanley in London and New York. After a PhD in finance from MIT Sloan as a Fulbright Scholar, he joined Wharton in 2007 and then the London Business School. And he very kindly came in today to talk to us about how not to succumb to confirmation bias, an examination of evidence and its usefulness, which I thought was an excellent topic for um, lawyers, clients, people engaged in statistics, um, financial information, all forms of facts to ensure that we're not bedazzled by information as we receive it, but learn to scrutinise it properly. What's become apparent to me there in the discussions is there are many other opportunities in life to scrutinise information. I'm hoping that Alex will examine some of those too. So my first question, Alex, could you give us a very brief synopsis of the thesis that you um, uh, laid out for us in our session in the auditorium this evening? Sure. Thank you very much, Kate, for the invitation. So what I was talking about was confirmation bias, the idea that we accept evidence that confirms our prior viewpoint and we reject evidence that contradicts it. And that's something that's really easy to do nowadays, because in the big data world and with social media, you can almost always find some evidence to support any view that you'd like to support. I really shouldn't be saying this as a professor, but one of the most dangerous phrases you can have is research shows that. Because you can find almost any research to support any viewpoint. Indeed, the anti-vaccination movement was based on research. So what I was asking people to do is to be much more discerning about the evidence and to look at the rigour of evidence to decide whether to listen to it, rather than paying attention to whether you like the findings or not. Now, I particularly like the quotation you gave us from Tolstoy. Can you remember it off the top of your head? Yes, Yes. I can. So, uh, Leo Tolstoy said, the most difficult subjects can be explained to the most slow-witted man if he has not formed any idea of them already. But the simplest thing cannot be made clear to the most intelligent man if he is firmly persuaded that he knows already. And so why I came up with that quote is just that it's important to be open-minded to new evidence and new data. There's many topics nowadays. They could be politics, such as Brexit, or they could be on our views as to whether there's any high or low income inequality or whether CEO pay should be regulated. These are emotive topics. And on an emotive topic like this, it's very tempting to think that your view is, is right, And anybody who disagrees with this might just be callous in not caring enough about, say, inequality. However, in many issues, there are two sides to every story and we need to be willing to listen to the other viewpoints. So confirmation bias is not only about misinterpreting evidence once you get it, but it's about failing to try to gather contradictory evidence in the first place. So there was a great question, I thought, asked in the auditorium this evening, um, following up on that idea, namely, um, what advice would you give to the cleverest person you're speaking to who has already made up their mind if you want to or if you want to persuade them of something different? I thought that was a very good question as well. And so I think what's important is to come up with evidence in order to persuade somebody else of, of you, your viewpoint, because that suggests that it's not just something that you came up with, but it's something where there is a lot of rigorous data to, to back it up. 
but also when presenting a viewpoint to somebody else. I think it's important not just to gather as much evidence as you can in support of your viewpoint, but also to gather some evidence which might be contradictory to your, your, your viewpoint. Because what that shows is that you've reached your viewpoint, not out of confirmation bias, not out of saying, well, I wanted to prove this, so I've gathered all the evidence in my favour to prove that. But instead, what that suggests is I looked at all evidence, both those for and against, and after looking at all the evidence, my final position is for, but I've reached that for position knowing that there is actually evidence in the other direction. Now, you suggested that people might be hardwired against hearing anything other than their own viewpoint, not just because their mind was full of their own view, but for other reasons about the way in which our brain works. I wondered if you'd expand on that. Yeah, so there's some psychological studies which show that when we hear a contradictory viewpoint, the amygdala in our brain lights up. And that's the same part of the brain that lights up when we're being attacked by a tiger. So actually hearing a contradictory viewpoint is just like being physically attacked. And so this is why people can get very um, negative and defensive if somebody comes up with something which uh, they disagree with. So the idea is sort of, what can we do about this? And I think just like the work on neuroplasticity shows that our brains can actually change, for example, the more mindful we are, than the less distracted we are. Similarly, if we're in, a, in an environment where we're always willing to be challenged, that will mean that when we do get challenges, we're used to them and, and they're part of just normal, rational debate between reasonable people rather than seeing them as an attack. Mm. Now, I wondered whether actually we're training ourselves in a completely opposite way. For example, when we indulge in Twitter or any form of social media conversation which is short and sweet mm. we're actually producing very strong opinions they're colorful they're not necessarily going to be challenged and we're teaching ourselves to communicate in that way rather than any reasoned way i don't know if you agree with that but it was a thought yes i think that's a very good point kate and i think we need to take deliberate steps to make sure that that doesn't happen so one of the consequences of giving a talk like this is that i need to act according to what i'm saying so that i'm not hypocritical so um some of the things i did earlier this year was um there was an article which came out saying the idea of per businesses being purposeful is 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 no good it's a load of rubbish and and it was actually quoting and criticizing my own tedx talk on the importance of of purpose what i did was i i read the article i actually thought it came up with some quite good arguments so i tweeted this article even though it was critical of of my viewpoint and actually used my talk as one of the things they were criticizing there was then an, another study which found different um, results from my own research on share buybacks and I also tweeted that study because it was published in a top tier journal so I think we need to be cognizant of its findings. Right. Um, maybe what we need is slow conversation in the same way as we have slow radio for something. People taking time to examine someone else's views and not just having a belligerent shouting match. Perhaps um, colleges um, for grown-ups that teach them to sit down or allow them to sit down and having a, have a lengthier conversation? Or would you say something like that happens already? I agree with you that that needs to happen more. And, and what doesn't happen at the moment is we, we often latch onto a study or an article if we like the findings without actually seeing, well, who produced it? Are these people that we can trust? Do they have biases? Was this research published in a peer-reviewed journal? So has it been vetted by other people? These are important things that we can ask. And when I give this advice, 
practitioners will say, well, that's quite impractical advice because if, if, I, if I'm a practitioner, I don't have the time to scrutinise these studies. How do I know what is the top peer-reviewed journals? But these are things that actually don't take much time to do. So the Financial Times, for example, publishes a list of the top 50 journals in, in business and economics. So you can just easily check, is this uh, journal on this list? Or even if the paper is not published, you can look at what um, institution they're from. So when I say this, people think, are you being elitish that we should listen more to, say, Harvard and Stanford rather than a school that we haven't heard of? But I don't think it's being elitist. It's about wanting to have the best quality evidence. We would rather trust a diagnosis from, say, the Royal Marsden Hospital than a hospital that we've not heard of. And I think we should apply the same rigour and scrutiny to the evidence that we trust. OK, so you advocate engaging with experts, unlike Michael Gove, for example. That's correct, but I might have a different um, view or definition of experts than what the general public m- might have. And I, I do agree, in, in one, some sense, with, with Michael Gove, that people have had enough of experts because there's many talking heads who will claim to have expertise when they actually don't. So we in economics, we have this joke called, called Nobel Prize disease. If you won a <laughs> Nobel Prize, that gives you licence to pontificate on anything, even if it wasn't the expertise that led to your Nobel Prize. And there's something I myself call a TED Talk disease, where if somebody's given a TED Talk, they will pontificate about anything, even if it wasn't the topic of, of, of the talk. So I think we, we should look at somebody who is an expert as somebody who has done rigorous research in that specific area. And I myself try to make sure that I don't give quotes to the media on things that I don't, ha- don't have expertise about, even though that would give me additional publicity and, and column inches. So some ways of combating um, or finding a way to truth are to do with being more rigorous ourselves, but maybe others are to do with just understanding what you're listening to and scrutinising them. You told us about the story of Bell, um, and I think that our listeners might be interested in hearing about the story of Bell because it's a great cautionary tale. Sure. So Bell Gibson, she was a, a young Australian who uh, apparently caught cancer and uh, she only was given four months to live. She tried chemotherapy and radiotherapy and they had no effect. So what she claimed was that she combated the disease with exercise, with meditation and by ditching meat for fruit and vegetables. And that's a story that everybody loves to believe in. Like We love to believe that you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. And this is a lady who apparently had cured herself from cancer just through sheer willpower. And people acted according to the story. So she uh, she launched a healthy eating app, The Whole Pantry, which 200,000 people downloaded within the first month. It may have been cases that other people shunned medicine for, for willpower. I don't have data on that, but it wouldn't surprise me if people based on that, st- that, that study thought they didn't need to um, have traditional medicine. But actually that story happened to be a lie. So Bell never had cancer. She made up that story, but 200,000 people bought her healthy eating app based on that that, that story because it sounded something which felt good. So that's a self-help tip. I mean, you can always ask yourself, am I hearing one person's story and extrapolating from that or trusting it when I haven't scrutinised it? And you had another tip as well, which is devil's advocates. Um, And you said that um, somebody had um, suggested that if you had a meeting 
um, and people hadn't come up with a constructive criticism in the meeting. They go away for a week, they think about the information, they come back and they be the devil's advocate. Um, I love that idea. And then somebody else said, well, hold on a minute, organisations can't tolerate devil's advocates. You're going to fall out with your team members. And you came up with a lovely riposte to that, which I thought we might enjoy. Yeah, so before my current life of poverty, I actually had a proper job <laughs> here in Canary Wharf uh, working for Morgan Stanley, although some people in the public might d- disagree as to whether that's a proper job or not. But I was doing mergers and acquisitions and uh, I joined in 2001 and this was um, around the time of September the 11th. So in normal times, as an analyst, you believe that you should just do whatever your boss tells you. Around the time of of a financial uh, crisis, you might think, well, there's going to be firings. I have even less agency, even less ability to say my own viewpoint. But what was interesting is that after my first six months, I had a, a review and they have left column comments, which are always filled in. The right column is only filled in if there's something very unusual. And they wrote one right column comment for me, which was, notably for a first-year analyst, Alex has the courage to share his views, which is to be encouraged. And I think that said far more about the organisation than it did about me, because it showed that the analysts that they they, they valued weren't the ones that worked the longest hours or did everything that their bosses told them, but the ones who were willing to be curious willing to, to challenge and and that says a lot about an organization and, and an industry which is often not known for for inviting challenges hmm. and I think we can self-challenge as well because you pointed out and actually I have been doing this ever since the brexit debate that um, it's not good enough just to read the middle of the road paper the Times of the independent pick up the Daily Mail or and the Guardian and see what what, what the rest of the world is thinking so hmm. To close, I wondered whether I'd managed to remember all the tips you've given us in relation to scrutinising carefully the data in our lives or whether there was anything else that you recommended. I think you've got virtually all of them. And, and let me just re- repeat them for, for the listeners. So one, one of them is is to seek other viewpoints, to actively try to find viewpoints from people that you disagree with. Because in nearly every issue, there are two sides. So even if you feel quite strongly about the issue, as I did with Brexit, I was a strong Remainer, I decided to consider very seriously why are people arguing for Brexit? And so on my blog... I did one post on the case for Brexit and one post on the case for Remain. The second is to listen to experts. My definition of expert might be different from what um, is the conventional definition. This is not necessarily a a, a CEO or, or somebody very influential. This is somebody who's based their opinion on expertise. And even academics may not be experts because they may be people who've strayed away from their core expertise in order to become talk talking heads who speak about any issue. And the final tip is to pause before sharing news or sharing information, because we also have a lot of power as influence ourselves by what we share, by what we tell our bosses. We might think, well, the boss, he or she will only like the stuff which they did, they agree with. But it's our responsibility to make sure that we don't share something because we think other people will like it. We only share something because we believe it's reliable and rigorous. So... If that's given any of you who are listening pause for thought and you'd like to think of a bit more or hear a bit more, Alex has very kindly agreed that um, the video that we have of his um, presentation we made available on our website, so do look at it. And if you enjoyed that, you may be interested in listening to some of our other podcasts on cliffordchance.com. Or for more information on other business topics such as fintech, 
Brexit and global trade, have a look at our thought leadership pages and online hubs, Talking Tech and our Brexit hub. You've been listening to the Clifford Chance podcast. Please stay tuned for more coming soon to cliffordchance.com. Thank you. Thank you.